for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Like I said, we're moving Thanks. into Mark chapter 9, and, and the, the, the ninth chapter of Mark is where we see Jesus uh, teaching his disciples in Galilee. And, and this, this is going to be some of the, the, his last time to do this in Galilee. Uh, after this chapter, Jesus is going to head to Jerusalem to accomplish the purpose for which he came to earth. You know, this, this is a pivotal chapter, uh, uh, at least I think it is, when we consider the, the, the Gospels. This, this is the beginning of, of Jesus' final teachings uh, before he goes to Jerusalem uh, to, to, you know, to, to be crucified on the cross. And, and in Mark 9, we read about one of the, one of the most unparalleled events uh, recorded in the Bible the transfiguration of Christ. Now, I know this is a, is a very familiar story, but it, I, think, I think it's one that there's so much that we tend to, we tend to read it and think, that's pretty cool, and then we move off, and we're, we're missing the, the crux of, of what the message is there. Um, let me go ahead and, 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 and read that. I'm going to begin uh, in Mark chapter, one, uh, chapter 9 uh, with verse 1. Says, and Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed over formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of, out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. All at once they, they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate, relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon the, that statement, discussing with one another, what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first and restore all things. And yet how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. You know, a very short, uh, compact scene there, but one I think that, that has uh, great significance. Uh, uh, it did for the disciples, and, and it should for us. Uh, 
You know, all three of the synoptic gospels contain this account. And if you look through them, they're all almost designed identically. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, a miraculous feeding, uh, there's a healing, uh, and then Jesus has these conversations that he had toward the end of uh, chapter 8 there. And then the, they all record the transfiguration. Um, you know, and th this transfiguration, as I said earlier, it kind of it kind of depicts or, or sets the tone for the, for the final leg of Jesus' ministry. And think about this. The disciples have been with him for, for, for about two years now, and yet they still don't, as we saw last week, they still don't understand. Uh, they don't comprehend uh, many of the things that Jesus is revealing to them. Um, but, but, but this, I think this, this transfiguration scene is significant in that, like I said earlier, it marks the, the, the final leg of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he's been ministering for two years, and now he's, he's leaving Galilee, where most of his ministry took place, and he's, he's going to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke records this in Luke 9, 51. He says... Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And, and in Luke's gospel, that's happening right here at the end of this, uh, this, uh, this account uh, in chapter 9 here in Mark. You know, it's absolutely, uh, you know, amazing to... to, to to, to, wonder, to wonder to and to consider what the disciples actually witnessed on this day. You know, what a, what a moment that must have been. You know, if you, if you just think about it, they've, they've been with Jesus. Uh, he had been ministering, uh, you know, just round the clock, and they take this journey up the mountain. Um, the, the mountain is not named, but I, we believe it's, it was, most people think it was... Uh, Mount Harmon there in, the, in that area. That was the closest one. It was about, about 9,000 feet high. Um, but think about the journey they took, and they're going up this mountain, and, uh, you know, they're, they're dusty, probably sweaty, and they've been working all day, and, and they're fixing to see, Peter, James, and John are fixing to see something so amazing that, that, that Jesus tells them not to, not to tell anybody yet, but I think uh, had they told someone, they, they probably wouldn't have believed it. Um, but what, what, is this, what does this event actually mean to us? What can we learn from this event? You know, what can we take away from it? You know, why did this occur? Why the transfiguration? You know, last week we, we saw in our study of Mark that, we, that we're at a point in Jesus' ministry where he's beginning to beginning to make it very clear that he has to suffer, that he has to suffer. Uh, his first plain teaching on this subject is in Mark 8, 31. Um, after the, this happens right after the, the disciples with, uh, with Peter articulating it. Uh, uh, you know, they, they correctly identify Jesus as, as, as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And immediately uh, uh, after that, Jesus provides them the details of what will happen to him. 
And, and it doesn't, it doesn't cor correlate with their expectations of the Messiah, as, as we saw last week. Remember, these, these are Jews. You know, they've been, they, they, they know the Messiah is coming, but Jesus is saying something about himself that doesn't correlate, doesn't jive with, with their idea of what the Messiah was going to be. Um, you know, Mark 8.31 says, he, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. You know, it's in that section of Scripture where Jesus begins to, to further uh, unveil the, the plans and purposes of God. You know, and, and the, these are the must statements that we looked at last week, uh, where Jesus says he, he, uh, he, he must be rejected, he must suffer, he must be killed, and must rise again on the third day. You know, the disciples understand that the Messiah is going to usher in the kingdom. You know, the way Jesus eventually enters Jerusalem to the crowd shouting, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now the disciples expected that, but they didn't expect how Jesus was going to eventually leave Jerusalem. They didn't expect his death, his burial, his, his resurrection, his eventual ascension into heaven. This was all way beyond anything they had, they had conceived or, or could comprehend. Uh, and it wasn't at all what they were expecting. You know, the Jews thought the Messiah would come in, uh, you know, like, like Jesus entered Jerusalem with shouts and, and accolades and, and that he was going to take his... his his throne in Jerusalem, and he would, you know, bring the nation together. He would defeat the, the Roman government, and everything would be good. So when Jesus tells them plainly in, in Mark 8 that he's going to die, that he's going to be buried and have to rise again, you know, Peter rebukes him, as we saw last week. And, and Jesus, is going, he's, Jesus is going to repeat this same teaching in Mark chapter 9. Uh, first in verse 12, uh, where it says, and, and yet how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? And then on down in verse 31 of, of, of chapter 9, he, he says this, uh, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he's been killed, he will rise three days later. You know, this was just blowing their minds. They could not, they could not grasp the things that Jesus was telling them here. Um, you know, this, this, they're having a, a very difficult time with all this. And, and, and this struggle is going to continue. Uh, even though they're, they're with Jesus, they're following Jesus, they're hearing him teach, this struggle will continue with them uh, all the way up to the day of Pentecost. And, and, but from that point on, after Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Spirit, um, the, their words and their, and their teachings 
indicate that they do understand. They do understand at that point uh, all the things that, that Jesus had been trying to tell them. You know, to understand the why of the transfiguration, we really have to go back to the conversation that Jesus was having with the, his disciples at the end of, of chapter 8. Um, so if you would, look over at chapter 8, beginning with verse 34. And it says this, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them. So he was initially in, in, uh, in this uh, in this section, he was initially talking with the disciples. And, they, and Peter steps up, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But now he, he, get, he, he motions for the people to come up and, and listen to what he's saying. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So that's, that's a, a, again, that's a, a pivotal point here, what, what he's telling them. And, and, you know, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And that, that should be a, a foreshadowing for them of what was to come. But they hear that, and, and they're still struggling with this whole idea that, that the Messiah, that Jesus is going to have to suffer. Um, now, in, in chapter 9, verse 1 is actually uh, a continuation of that conversation. Uh, he's just said that the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. And Jesus was saying to them, truly I say to you, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now that, that's a verse that that has prompted a lot of speculation on what it actually means, but I, I think it's to me it's pretty clear that uh, that it means just what it says. Some of them are gonna are about to see something that that uh, before they die that, that no one else has seen. Um, so look at uh, verse 2 again. Verse 2, the first part of that verse. Uh, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. You know, it's interesting, he didn't take all 12 up there. He just took three, Peter, James, and John. Uh, and and I don't think this was a random sequence of events uh, because it, it, it echoes what happened with, with Moses on Mount Sinai. You know, when Moses went up the mountain to, and, and encountered God. And it's interesting that when, uh, in that scene with Moses, Moses took three men with him. Uh, Aaron, uh, Nadab, and Abihu. Uh, 
Um, and, and the Bible says in Exodus 24, the glory of the Lord covered Mount Sinai for six days, and on the seventh day, God called out to Moses. Um, so I, I don't think it's an accident that, that Jesus just took these three with him. There was a, a specific purpose. Uh, and again, it's almost a, a, a type of what happened with, with Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, and then if we read on in verse 2, and he was transfigured before them. He was transfigured before them. You know, that's, that, that word simply means transformed. It's, it's a word that we don't use much uh, uh, in, in, in our English language. Uh, um, you know, some have read uh, this as, as, as saying that, that, God, it's, that, that it was God who, who shined a light down there that, that illuminated the, the mountaintop. But that, that wasn't the case. You know, the, the, the word transfiguration is something that happens not on the outside, but something that starts on the inside. So the light, the brightness, the glory that Peter, James, and John were seeing was coming from Jesus. Uh, and it was, it was an overpowering light. Um, verse 3 says, And his garments became radiantly, radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can, can whiten them. You know, in this same uh, uh, instance here, Matthew describes it this way in, in Matthew 17. He says, his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And Luke records it like this in Luke 9, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. You know, and this kind of matches, uh, again, um, with, with what's recorded regarding uh, what happened to Moses. You know, on the mountain in Exodus 34, when, when Moses' face was shining so brightly that the people couldn't look at it. He had to cover himself. Um, you know, the point is that, that the introduction to this event in, in Mark 9 is, uh, like I said, is kind of echoing uh, that picture of Moses going up Mount Sinai. And, and, and it's at this moment the divine glory of Jesus is unveiled for Peter, James, and John. Look at verse 4. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with him. So here, Peter, James, and John are, have just seen this burst of light. Uh, they've seen Jesus transfigured. And, and they look up, and, and not only are they seeing Jesus, but there's Moses and Elijah. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that, that, that those characters are there. Um, and it, it had to be impactful for Peter, James, and John. Remember, they were Jews. They, they, you know, the Mosaic Law and the, the teachings of the prophets, it, that was what defined them. That's, that's what they had lived under all their life. Um, and, and they see Moses, and, 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 and Moses has been dead for like 1,400 years at this point. And they see Elijah, who, who w was taken away 900 years uh, prior to this. And, and that, that's interesting in and of itself. You know, Moses was buried, 
and but he's there. Elijah was was caught up by God in a in a chariot, and there's Elijah. Kind of kind of reminded me of the the, the scene uh, uh, when when Jesus comes back. That uh, you know the, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. You know those that are buried, and uh, uh, and then the rest of us will be caught up in the air. Uh, you know, similar to the way Elijah was, but there. But Peter, James, and John are seeing these men, and it's interesting, too, they recognize who they are. You know, how would they have known that these two men were Moses and Elijah unless, you know, God had, had revealed this supernaturally to them? But they recognize them. And, and, and I think that gives us uh, hope, too, that when we get to heaven, we're going to recognize people. We're going to recognize our loved ones that have gone on before us. Uh, and we too will be able to recognize Moses and Elijah and, and David, and, and 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 but especially we'll recognize Jesus. Um, you know the, the the point is that the introduction to this event in Mark nine is uh, is so significant to the to Peter, James, and John. And think back they. They, Jesus has just told them what's going to happen to him. And, and they can't believe it. You know, they, this, they've been with him. They've seen all the miracles, the, the, the great things he's done, the healings, the uh, raising people from the dead. Uh, and yet Jesus is telling them, you know, in a short while, I, I won't be here. I, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to uh, be killed. But I, I will rise again on the third day. Um, you know, they're struggling with this. Um, and even though this is a, a, a staggering moment to, for them to, to, to witness this, especially, you know, given their, their Jewish culture, uh, this was such a meaningful thing because they knew that, you know, Moses and Elijah were were were. were you know, there was, there was prophecy that was being fulfilled through them. Uh, and we don't have time to, to go into that, but, but it, it's an interesting study there. Um, but again, in verse 4, Moses and Elijah appear and begin talking with Jesus. Uh, if we turn over to Luke, he tells us they were, that they, they were talking. He tells us what they were talking about. They were talking about uh, Jesus's departure for Jerusalem you know what was going to what that what was going to take place now Moses Moses and Elijah appear in their in their resurrected glory and we need to we need to consider again why is it Moses and Elijah that appear um, you know it's not that they could add anything to um, to the nature or the knowledge of Christ but, but notice the impact that it has on those three disciples uh, that we just mentioned a while ago. Now look at verse 5. It says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, <laughs> for they became terrified. I love that. Have you ever been in a situation where something happens and you don't know what to say, but you'd feel like you've got to say something. 
Uh, and that's what's happened here. They, they've seen this, and uh, the Bible doesn't say they were fearful or anything like that. It says they were terrified. And then Peter makes that statement, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. Now, if you remember, uh, you know, God instructed Moses about building a tabernacle where, where the cloud of his glory would, would, would settle and, and meet with Moses and meet with the priest. Later on, it would be the Holy of Holies. Um, but here Peter is, is saying, Let's, man, this is so grand. You know, what, the things they've just seen, let's, let's just build three tabernacles and, and stay right here. Um, but, but that wasn't going to be the case. Uh, if you read on in verse 7, it says, Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them. I think that's a neat statement. A cloud formed, overshadowing them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know, the, the, the voice is confirming the confession of Peter that, that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. You know, God's words are in, her, in his mouth. Therefore, all are to listen to him. And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, you know, it, it's, it's prophesied that it's where God tells Moses, I'm going to raise up one like you from among your brothers and and I'm going to put my words in his mouth. Uh, and if you don't listen, to, you know, the, those that don't listen to him, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be dealing with them. And that paraphrasing that terribly. Um, but let's read on there. Look at verse 8. It says, all at once they, they looked around and saw no one with them except Jesus alone. You know, they had just seen this, this cloud come down and, and, and overshadow the mountain. Um, and it, it, like, like they said, it was a cloud that, that terrified them. You know, God often appeared that way, didn't he, in a cloud. You know, and, and, and his glory was in the cloud, his, his Shekinah glory. Um, you know, it was a, just some examples. It was the pillar of cloud that, that stood by Israel in the wilderness, uh, it was the cloud of glory that God spoke to Israel from in, in Exodus 16. It was the cloud of glory that met with Moses and others. It was the cloud of glory that stood by the door of the tabernacle. It was from this cloud that God appeared to the high priest in his holy place inside the veil. It was from this cloud uh, that God appeared to Solomon when, when the temple was dedicated. And, and the Bible tells us that his glory... His cloud filled the temple. Um, you know, it was the cloud of Ezekiel's vision filling the temple of God with the, with the brightness of his glory. It was the cloud of glory that received Jesus into heaven at his ascension. And, it, and, it, and it's the, the cloud that will display the glory of Christ when he returns. So, you know, God is saying, this, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And who had they been listening to prior to this? 
to Moses, to, to Elijah, all the prophets. Uh, but now God is saying, listen to him. So that, that's a very significant uh, uh, statement there. Verse 8 says, And all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. And they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does first come and restore all things, and yet how is it written? So he, he's posing this question to them. Elijah is going to come first, but think about this. How is it written that the Son of Man, uh, that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. Well, listen, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to um, bring this to a close. But, but this is such an interesting uh, uh, passage. And, 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 and the whole chapter of, of chapter 9 is, is filled with things. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite uh, um, things is where, uh, you know, they, the disciples come down and there's a crowd. They're, they're trying to, uh, the disciples are trying to cast this evil spirit out of a, out of a young man. And, 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 uh, and, and a man looks at Jesus and says, uh, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, and I, th I think he probably said it with maybe a kind of a wink of the eye. If I can, like who do you think I am? If I can, all things are possible to him who believe. Um, and we know what happens there. But, but again, getting back to this scene, this was, you know, why? Why, were, why Peter, James, and John? And, and I think God was giving them, I think God was giving them something to hold on to right here. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand what they saw, but they had something they could hold on to, uh, a hope. Uh, uh, and it gave them insight in, into, in, into what it meant to, to rise from the dead, perhaps, or what, uh, what it meant, uh, uh, what the resurrection would be, because, because they were seeing uh, Moses and Elijah. And, and like I said, the disciples really didn't fully comprehend this until until after the day of Pentecost. And and we we, we see Peter writing in in uh, in Second Peter one, I believe, beginning with verse sixteen. He said, "For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty." For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as utterance uh, as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven 
and we were with him on the holy mountain. You know, what a, what a proclamation that is. What an impact that, that had on Peter. So what's, what's the big message here? Uh, uh, there, there's several, but the, the, the most pertinent one is listen to Jesus. Listen to him. You know, suffering uh, is not incompatible with glory. And this is what Jesus was trying to get them to see as they began the discussion in, 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 in uh, chapter 8. Suffering is not incompatible. In fact, suffering is the pathway to glory from God. Uh, so we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. There, there, there's no other way to do it. You know, it's, uh, it's through self-denial. It's through taking up our cross, and it's through following. And I think following it implies listening, listening to his voice. Amen. Uh, thank you for your patience.